And now this morning, we will continue on the theme of the manifestation of the kingdom of God uh, in this world. And <clears throat> I begun it last week and actually wasn't able to complete the material. So before we dive into it, once again, let us pray and ask for God's help as we come to his word this morning. Let's pray. <clears throat> Our Father, we, we do thank you for gathering us together at this time on this day. And how we are such a blessed people, as you said, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, because flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And when Peter made that confession that Jesus is the Christ, that's what you said to him, Lord, that he is blessed. And we share that same blessing by your grace because we believe that you are the Christ and that you have opened our eyes <clears throat> to see you, to believe you, and we are a blessed people. And so we ask that you would help us as we venture forth into this hour, that you will come by your spirit and teach us more. For you said, take my yoke upon you and learn of me. And so we ask, Lord Jesus, that you will come and be in our midst as you have promised and that you would minister to every one of us here, that in the midst of our weakness, in the midst of our <clears throat> doubt or confusion or even sin, we ask that you would cleanse us from our sins, that you would dispel the remnants of darkness that this world seek to um, push us into, that you would Help us to see clearly this morning, and we pray and ask for your mercies, and we ask and pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Last week when <clears throat> I mentioned about the kingdom of heaven and how it's manifested in this world, um, thinking largely from the passage in Matthew chapter 6 where Jesus says, Seek ye first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. And even in those words of command where we receive it in Matthew chapter 6, <clears throat> Jesus issues those words in terms of setting the priority of our lives is not just do these things so you can have bread, because in the context, it's about you know, the, the, the anxiety of what shall we eat, what shall we wear, how will we have our needs met? And he says, oh, you of little faith. And then he says, seek ye first his kingdom and his righteousness. So we don't seek first the kingdom of, and his righteousness so we can have a lot of things in this world. But seeking first God's kingdom and his righteousness is to be the priority. It is to be the focus of our lives, period. And I want to encourage us in that regard. And as I, I'll just kind of summarize quickly, um, last time when I mentioned about the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven, it's all the same kingdom. And describing what it is simply I try to put it as simply as I could, is that the kingdom of heaven is the realm where the redeemed live 
under the rule of God. It is the realm where the redeemed, that is those who have been saved, those who's, who is no longer living in the darkness of this world, they have been redeemed from their sins and from the bondage thereof and from the tyranny of the devil and the darkness of this world. They have been redeemed through Christ and they live under God's rule. That is, they live as joyful, obedient servant of the king. We serve the Lord Jesus joyfully. We serve God with great joy because our eyes have been opened and we submit to him and we call him Jesus that is Lord and God is our father. And this is the evidence and this is what the kingdom of heaven is all about is bringing in the redeemed in under the in this realm where they're living joyfully under the rule of God. Consistent with the catechism, man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. But in this world, as you look around you in the world, we don't see everyone living under the rule of God. Yes, they are under God's sovereign rule, but we don't see the joyful submission and the joyful embrace of God. In Philippians 2, it says, in that day, every knee will confess and every tongue will, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That's not going on today. And that, <clears throat> that is so because the kingdom, although the kingdom of heaven is here, the kingdom of heaven is yet to be fulfilled in all of its fullness. It has entered the world. It is present in the world, but is yet to be present in its all its fullness. And so there's this element of the kingdom of, is here in the present, but the kingdom is also something future. And in the future, every knee will bow. And every knee will confess that Jesus is Lord not only those needs that will be assigned to the judgment of God, but when the kingdom come, comes in all of its fullness, there you will see the whole universe transformed and every soul living on the earth, that is the new heavens and the new earth, and that's what we're going to look at a little bit more this morning, you will see that there will be no rebellion, no sin, no temptation, no wickedness, their righteousness will be, will be there, will be housed down forever and ever. And we'll look at some of those verses. And so that's what I mean about the kingdom of heaven being something future. But we want to look at, finish up in that point that I was making, that the kingdom is something that is in the present. And how is it manifested in the present? And uh, turn with me again into Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4. And what, 
what was mentioned last week was the fact that when Jesus came into the world and <clears throat> there was such a celebration in heaven, the heavenly host was praising God at his birth and all of these things were going on and the world didn't know that there was a dawning of a new age. A dawning of a new day when he came, when he was born. And we hear sermons about that around this time of the year. Um, but here, as he commences his ministry, I want you to see the act, remind you of the activities that he did. Verse 23, Matthew 4. And Jesus went about all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing all manner of disease and all manner of sickness among the people. And the report of him went forth into all Syria, and they brought unto him all that were sick, holden with various diseases and torments, possessed with demons and epileptic and palsied, and he healed them. And there followed him great multitudes from Galilee and Decapolis and Jerusalem and Judea, and beyond the Jordan. <clears throat> and so the two activities primarily we see Jesus doing, preaching the gospel of the kingdom. And the message is repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And then we see him healing all manner of sicknesses and diseases and casting out demons. Those were the two activities you see our Lord engaging in as we read through the gospel narratives. His public ministry consists of his preaching and teaching and of his healing and casting out demons. And then looking at Matthew chapter 12, verse 28, when Jesus was challenged as he often was by the Pharisees, and we know that it was because of envy and jealousy, <clears throat> but he was challenged, although he was casting out demons, they said, oh, he's doing it by the power of Beelzebub. But notice what Jesus says in verse 28, Matthew 12. But if I, by the Spirit of God, cast out demons, then is the kingdom of God come upon you. What's this reference with demons, Jesus casting out demons in the kingdom of God? What's the connection there? Well, as I mentioned before, as it says in 1 John, how the Son of God was manifested, 1 John 3 verse 8, that he might destroy the works of the devil. And here, everything that is wrong with this world, Jesus is going to reverse. Everything that is wrong with this world. And in his ministry is an expression of that. This world is filled with liars and deceivers. And Jesus preaches the truth. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That's the truth. That's what men need to do more than anything else in this world. The truth is, is that people need to repent and turn from their sins 
and be saved. And that is the great issue of moment. And Jesus preached the truth. And Jesus came in because of sin. It's a fallen world. We deteriorate. We have various afflictions. There's various sorrows. He heals those that are sick. We see that. We read that in the passage. We, he, see, he raises the dead. Ah, he even has authority over the grave to conquer death. And we come up with products where we want to extend our lives and look younger and have surgery and all these things. And all. This is groping in the darkness of this world, trying to find it here and now. No, it's not. Our true fulfillment and satisfaction will not come from life in this world. And when Jesus came, he delivered man from these woes that come as a result of sin. And then the tyranny of the devil, the casting out of demons, showing his authority over the devil. He can cast out demons, and that's why he says, if I, by the Spirit of God, cast out demons, then is the kingdom of God come upon you. The kingdom is here, and he's casting out demons. He's healing the sick. He raises the dead. This is all the fruits of the curse. And Jesus is going to reverse the curse that is upon this world as a result of sin of Adam's fall in the Garden of Eden. And so in his ministry, that's why it's good news, his public ministry, preaching, teaching the good news of the kingdom, healing all manner of sickness, raising the dead, showing that he is the resurrection and the life, and he that believes in him, though he die, yet shall he live. And you see, the kingdom is bound up in him, and when Jesus came and commences his ministry, it was the dawning of a new day, the dawning of the kingdom of God and his manifestation. And he continues this work of the kingdom through his church. And we read from Acts chapter 2, but I'd like for you to turn with me to Acts chapter 28. Acts chapter 28. Paul finally gets to Rome, and he is there under house arrest. And notice what is said about Paul as he is there, as we end the book of Acts. In Acts chapter 28, verse 30. And he abode, that is, he dwelt two whole years in his own hired dwelling and received all that went in unto him, preaching what? The kingdom of God. Preaching the kingdom of God and teaching the things concerning the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness, none forbidding him. Now, I say that to say that Paul's message is the same message as Jesus. 
He's preaching the kingdom. And this is the same message that we preach today. When we're preaching the gospel, we're preaching the good news of the kingdom. Because the gospel, we're seeking to see sinners saved and converted and come out of this darkness of this world and their own sinfulness and their bondage to sin and their deceit and deception. And what are they being delivered unto? They're being delivered unto God's kingdom. If you look at Acts chapter 26, and Paul describes his ministry that he received from the Lord Jesus Christ. In Acts 26, and let's see, I'll, just, I'll start at verse, um, I'll start at verse 12. Verse 12. Acts 26, beginning of verse 12. Paul is giving his testimony of how God had saved him and how he, his life, explaining the man that he was as he stood there before Agrippa. Verse 12, Whereupon, as I journeyed to Damascus with the authority and commission of the chief priests at midday, O king, I saw, he's speaking to Agrippa, I saw on the way a light from heaven above, the brightness of the sun shining round about me, and them that journeyed with me. And when we were all fallen to the earth, I heard a voice saying unto me in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? It is hard for you to kick against the gold. And I said, Who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you persecute. But arise and stand upon your feet, for to this end have I appeared to you to appoint you a minister and a witness both of the things wherein you have seen me and of the things wherein I will appear unto you, delivering you from the people and from the Gentiles unto whom I send you. Notice this, to open their eyes that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan unto God and that they may receive forgiveness or remission of sins and an inheritance among them that are sanctified by faith in me. That was Paul's ministry. That was his ministry to have men turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan unto God. And you see Paul, he healed people. He had those. God has given him those, um, th those ability, but for a specific purpose. Again, we don't go around healing people from their diseases. That's not part of the gospel message. And that is not God's calling for us. But our calling is to make disciples of all the nations, as we read in Matthew 28, baptizing them and teaching them to observe all things whatsoever that Jesus Christ has commanded. But you see the ministry, the, the preaching of the gospel, the goal is to see men and women and boys and girls turn from darkness to light, to deliver them from under the power and influence of the devil that they may be liberated to serve God. And that's the kingdom of God. 
As I mentioned before, Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Again, when he came in, that was the dawning of that light in this world. And so we see here, as Paul in his ministry, as he concludes his ministry, he's preaching, the scripture tells us he's preaching the kingdom of God. And so this is how the kingdom is manifested in this age. Now, we come to the second point, is how the kingdom will be manifested in the age to come. In the age to come, that is, what is it going to look like when the kingdom comes in all this fullness? I've basically mentioned it already. I have three things I want to say about this. Firstly, the universe will be purified through the final judgment. The universe will be purified through the final judgment. That is the heavens and the earth. And I'll just turn to one passage that sums it up very clearly. Turn with me to 2 Peter chapter 3. 2 Peter chapter 3. Sometimes we could lose heart with the gospel when we see what we see around us. We desire to see experience of revival. Maybe to see the gospel spread through castles and people coming out of their homes and putting off their um, pleasures on the Lord's Day, and coming into God's house because they realize that there is something more important than their personal pursuits, and that is God's kingdom and God's glory in the earth, and that there is truth and hope to be found in Jesus Christ. And so they are leaving off their worldly pursuits, and they gladly come and gather and join themselves among God's people. I mean, those are things we would love to see, and there's nothing wrong with those things. But we can get discouraged when we don't see those things. And when we see the ongoing decline, even in our culture of common decency, I wonder if we know what that is. Now, we know what it is, but I'm thinking of people in the world. Do they know what is common decency? They probably scoff at that. But here, Peter is addressing mockers, those who scoff and they ridicule God's word and God's people. And here these mockers are mocking about, you say Jesus is coming back? And they say, oh yeah? Where is this coming? Nothing has changed. Everything is the same from generation after generation. Ah! I don't believe that stuff. I mean, look at this. Look at what Peter says. Verse 3. Knowing this verse, that in the last days mockers shall come with mockery, walking after their own lusts and saying, Where is the promise of his coming? For from the day that the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of the creation. And so there's the mockery. 
we see it come in the way of those who are so-called evolutionists. And they say, look, you guys who believe that God created the world, that's ridiculous. And see, the whole idea of the world, and again, is under the influence of the devil. It's that lie, the devil's lie that's being perpetuated, yea, hath God said. Right? And that was the whole thing with Eve. The devil seeks to sow the seed of doubt. Just start questioning, is this really true? I mean, after all, it was written by men. And I know you talk about men being moved by the Holy Spirit. And there's got to be some mistakes in it. Is it really true? You see, when you start questioning God's word, that opens up the door, the doorway to sin and confusion and darkness. It was all beautiful in Eden until the devil came and tempted Eve. And so with that lie, and that lie continues to be perpetuated, even here, Peter, it was going on while the apostles were still alive. Peter writes of it. He said, they're coming, and they will come in those days, saying, where is the promise of his coming? They had people that were mocking in those days as well. And so don't be surprised, especially you younger, and you've probably been exposed to that already, but Remember, brethren, when there are those who are questioning the scripture, however, you know, neat, tidy, maybe they're a talking head, well-educated, articulate, attractive, appealing, charming, don't be deceived by all of that. Listen to what they're saying. And always measure everything by the scripture. And those mockers, they come in various forms. They're mocking and they're questioning and they're scoffing at God's word. And Peter says, you know what their problem is? And look at verse 5. For this they willfully forget. It's a willful forgetfulness. Everybody knows about the flood. But they willfully forget. That there were heavens from of old, the earth compacted out of water and amidst the water by the word of God, by which means the world that then was being overflowed with water perished. But the heavens that now are and the earth by the same word, interesting, same word, by God's word, the judgment came with the flood. And by the same word, there's a future judgment coming. And just as people did not believe Noah in his day, and what happened to them? They perished. So it is in our day, people that refuse to believe God's word, and if they persist in unbelief, they too will also perish. This word, by the same word, the heavens, verse 7, have been, have been stored up for fire, being reserved against the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. But forget not this one thing, beloved, that one day is with the Lord as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. You see, God is not like us. God is eternal. 
The Lord is not slack concerning his promise. We live in a day when people are lying and deceiving us. But God is not a liar. And God is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness. But God is patient. That is, he's long-suffering to you, word. Not wishing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. That is the reason why the judgment hasn't come yet, because God is merciful. He is long-suffering. He has no pleasure in the death of the wicked. But he yearns that men repent. And he's yearning for people to repent. And he's given space for men to repent. But God is righteous and judgment will come. It will come. But he's holding out in his mercy. Not wishing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But, verse 10, the day of the Lord will come as a thief. In the which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall be dissolved with fervent heat. And the earth and the works that are therein shall be burned up. Now, I don't take this as metaphorical language. It, this is literal terms, what Peter is describing here. Seeing that these things are thus all to be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in all holy living and godliness? And that's the exhortation to we, the people of God. Because these things are so, we should be giving ourselves as we anticipate and longing for the day to be giving ourselves to holy living and godliness. Looking for and earnestly desiring the coming of the day of God. Are we looking for? Do we earnestly desire the coming of the day of God? That's why we need these reminders. That's why we need to be in church so we can hear these things. That's why we need to be reading our Bibles regularly and comprehensively and not just stay in one portion of scripture but we need the full diet of the word of God to nourish our souls so that we would have this disposition of this eager and yearning anticipation of the coming of the day of God not that we desire to see ungodly people destroyed no we want to have the heart of God God doesn't desire the destruction of the wicked but they will be destroyed nonetheless if they do not repent but we're longing for that day. And here Peter goes on to say, the, the coming of the day of God, verse 12, second half, by reason of which the heavens being on fire, fire compared to water, but being on fire shall be dissolved, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. But according to his promise, we look for new heavens and a new earth wherein dwells righteousness. And brethren, verse 13 describes the kingdom in all of its fullness. The new heavens and the new earth wherein dwells righteousness. There will be no more wickedness. This world will be renovated as it were. That's why I say the, the kingdom will be manifested in the age to come when the universe will be purified through the final judgment. 
If there's a murderer on the loose committing crimes of murder and everyone's fearful, isn't there a great joy when that person is captured and arrested and perhaps even executed for their crime? Because there's a sense of relief. We're safe now. We don't need to live in fear any longer. The murderer has been captured. He has been dealt with. Justice has been served. And now we can go out in freedom and live our lives. That's in a small way. But when you think of this world, what it is, it's an enemy of God. Friendship with the world is to be an enemy with a God, with God, against God. And the enemy to God's people, and as I mentioned, the works of the devil, that's what's going to happen in the final judgment. All of these things will be dealt with. It will be removed. And brethren, remember, it is the only way that these things will be removed from this world. The only way. That's why we don't, we're not political in the church. That's not our message. We're not here to preach politics. We're here to preach the gospel of the kingdom. And political endeavors and efforts is not going to fix the problem of this world. We know that, especially we who've been around the block, younger folks coming up, you know, they can get caught up in these things thinking that this is what's going to change the world. No, no, no. What's needed is the gospel of the kingdom. Military. We need to go to war and conquer this land and conquer the other land and plant our flag and establish our culture and our ways of life and then the world will be better. Or we need to be concerned about the environment and the ozone and so forth and pollution and all these things. I'm not saying we ought to be, you know, destructive. No, we should care for our environment. We should care about these things. But that is not the great issue of the day. In fact, this environment is going to be purified through the final judgment. And there will be the new heavens and the new earth. That's what's needed. New things. Purify things. Cleanse things. And this whole world needs to be new and renewed and cleansed. Turn with me to Revelation chapter 21. Revelation 21. I'm sure some of you have already thought about this. I'm just going to read the passage. Revelation 21. Verse 1. John said, And I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth are passed away, and the sea is no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a great voice out of the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he shall dwell with them, and they shall be his peoples, and God himself shall be with them and be their God. And he shall wipe away every tear from their eyes. 
and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. The first things are passed away. And he that sits on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said, Write, for these words are faithful and true. And he said unto me, They are come to pass. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give unto him that is a thirst of the fountain of the water of life freely. He that overcomes shall inherit these things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. The new heavens and the new earth. You see that? That's a beautiful description. That is something that we should be longing for. And again, mourning, pain, crying, sickness, death. Jesus' ministry, he was healing those who were sick of various diseases. He cast out demons from people. There were the tokens. There were, as it were, the first fruits of these things to come bound up in the person and work of Jesus Christ, in his ministry, his message, and his, his activity of healing and raising the dead, delivering men from Satan. And then notice what we read in verse 8. But for the fearful and unbelieving and abominable and murderers and fornicators, and sorcerers, and idolaters, and all liars, their part shall be in the lake that burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. And those words are very sobering. While the people of God will rejoice in the kingdom when it comes in all of its fullness, those who refuse, who persists in their rebellion against God, they will be consigned to eternal damnation in hell. And this is what the scriptures say. This is what the Bible teach. And because people don't want to reckon with this, what they do is they try to discredit the Bible and say the Bible is not true. Because they can't accept, they can't deal with this reality. But remember, brethren, God is holy. And God is light. And in him is no darkness at all. And in the new heavens and the new earth, there will be no unclean thing there. There will be no stain of wickedness. And therefore, people who want to hold on to their wickedness and hold on to their sin and refuse to repent, they will hold on to their sins in throughout all eternity. They will keep their sins. But you know what comes with their sin is judgment and wrath. And they will have that through all eternity as they hold on to their wickedness. And that is a tragedy indeed. That is a tragedy indeed. 
And see the language, abominable, murderers, fornicators, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars. These are the things that mark this world in which we live. Paul describes it in Galatians 1.4 as a present evil age. And that's why I say when the kingdom will be manifested in the age to come in all of its fullness, the universe will be purified through the final judgment. The other thing that will be realized when the kingdom of God comes in all its fullness is this. The redeemed will be glorified in body and soul. The redeemed will be glorified in body and soul. What happens when a believer dies? His soul goes to be with the Lord. He goes to be among those just men made perfect. Paul says in 2 Corinthians, to be absent from the body is to be at home with the Lord. That's what happens with death. It's a separation of soul and body. When God made Adam, and I remember in reading on the doctrine of man before I went to the academy, reading those lectures, man formed of the dust of the ground. There was no life in him until God breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. That's amazing. Man derives his life directly from his creator by breathing into his nostrils. That's so how much man is made in God's image. And man became a living soul. This body that God has created. And Adam had a perfect body. A beautiful, perfect body. And Adam had no sin. Not a sinful thought. And in the new heavens and the new earth, our bodies that are now corrupt will be glorified. Our souls... In this world, which is now defiled, will be purified. You see, when, when our soul leaves our body now, we go to join the rest of the saints who are there in heaven. And what that is like, we will be naked. And what that means is that we're naked because we don't have our body. We'll be in our spirit. That is to be naked. But we long for the day, as Paul speaks about, to be clothed upon with our bodies. But when we die, our souls will be perfected instantly. There is no sin. There will be no sin in our souls. But the fullness of who we are and the glory of the new heavens and the new earth is not yet realized. They're still waiting for that day. So our spirit, our soul goes to be with God and now it is perfected. Think about the brethren you knew, we know, who is there in glory right now. They are perfected. But their remains are on earth. And you see the glories of the new heavens and the new earth, those perfected saints in glory 
when Jesus comes again and when the judgment comes and all of these things are going to happen on that day, the last day, the resurrection of the dead, the redeemed will rise up from the dead and the bodies that come out of the earth is going to be transformed into a glorified body and that glorified body will be united to that spirit that is made perfected and it's in that state that we will dwell in the new heavens and a new earth. Just think about that. What would that be like? We just can't imagine it. We just can't imagine it. Now for some scriptures in 1 Corinthians um, 15, it speaks about the, the resurrected body. And um, we can turn there and look at a few verses because it's, it, it, it would be good to read the entire chapter, but for the sake of time, and we don't have that time now. But for your own reading, read the entire chapter of 1 Corinthians 15. It's very instructive. I'll, I'll read at verse 42. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 42. Just jumping right in. So also is the resurrection of the dead. It is sown in corruption, that is the body. It is raised in incorruption. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. So also as it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living soul. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit, that is Jesus. How be it, let's see, let me, let me stop there. <laughs> and then verse 50. Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Neither doth corruption inherit incorruption. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We all shall not sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, there is the judgment. For the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruption must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. But when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption, and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. Now, the sting of death is sin. There would be no death if there was no sin. There is no death when there is no sin. 
And that is why in the new heavens and the new earth, death will be no more because there will be no more sin. And that's why those who refuse to repent, they cannot, in, they cannot come into God's heaven. They cannot come into the new heavens and the new earth because there is no more death. Sin is not allowed. If they're determined to hold on to their sins, sin is resigned to that place of eternal judgment. But not in the new heavens and the new earth. And so death, where is your victory? O death, where is thy sting? The sting of death is sin, but the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Repent, Jesus said. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. The victory was bound up in him. And he comes preaching the good news of the gospel. He comes healing the sick, raising the dead, casting out demons. He comes sweeping away all that is wrong with this world, all that is so messed up about this world. He deals with it all. And then he goes to the cross and he dies, taking upon our sins, upon himself. He goes into the grave. He rises from the dead, never to die no more. The first fruits. And there he goes into heaven. And we who believe in him, we will follow him. We will be like him. And so that when we die, before he returns, our bodies await. There is a period of waiting. For him, it was only three days. But for us, there's a period of waiting. And then that day will come when our bodies will be united to our glorified spirits. And so here Paul says, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory over all these things through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's why it's not a political answer, the problems for this world. That's why it's bound up in Jesus. And brethren, let us never, ever be ashamed of this message. Don't be ashamed of Jesus. Don't be ashamed to tell the world that there's a Savior who has come. Yes, you mock this Savior, but I tell you, my friend, he is the only way of hope for us. It is in Jesus, and listen to this good news that Jesus has brought to us, and it continues to be sounded forth through the people of Christ in this church through the message of the gospel. It's not a political answer. It's not a military answer. It's not an educational answer. It's not even a health care answer. It has to do with Jesus as our Redeemer, as our Savior. He is the light of the world, and he that follows him shall not walk in the darkness. Come and see for yourself, and taste and see that the Lord is good. And so we bring this good news, brethren, with no apology, with no embarrassment, with great compassion, yearning that men will be delivered from the darkness of this world. And so Paul says, wherefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know, that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Not in vain. What we do today, brethren, is not in vain. It, although we are few, what are we doing, brethren? 
we're worshiping God. We're preaching his gospel. And even to those who know it best, and who knows what visitor may come in, and how God may use the very ongoing existence of this congregation to be a beacon here in Catskill, shining the light, radiating the light of Jesus, because, and we don't have time, and I'll just mention this, Jesus perpetuates his light through the gospel and through his people. Isn't that what Jesus says? You are the light of the world. We're not the light the same way Jesus is the light, but we are the light like the moon is to the sun. We reflect his light. We are not the source of light. We reflect the light that we receive from him. And as Philippians 2, we are like luminaries. We are like lights shining in the midst of a world, holding forth the word of life to a lost and dying world. And so, brethren, let us be clear and let us never be moved from what our hope really is and help us to share this hope to this lost and dying world. And so when we read those words in Matthew 6, but seek ye first his kingdom and his righteousness, All these things shall be added to you. When you're seeking first the kingdom and his righteousness, you're not going to worry about anything. And you're going to be so taken up with God and his glory. Your whole orientation of your lives will be so filled with faith and assurance that, brethren, we we will not worry about our clothing, our eating, but we will be concerned with God's glory in everything that we do. And we will experience that light and more abundance in the liberty and the freedom we have as God's people to be walking in the light. We are so happy. Lord, thank you that I'm saved. Thank you that you've opened my eyes. I could ask for nothing more than what you have given to me in Jesus Christ, your son. Thank you, Lord, for what you've done in my life. And may the Lord be pleased to encourage us, brethren. This kingdom, it's here. And it is advancing. And one day, it will be here in all its fullness. May God grant that we all give diligence to serve him and to persevere in the work of his his gospel, his kingdom. Let's pray.